Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. Are you and your partner really aligned when it comes to finances? Do you rarely experience conflicts around money? And if this this is the case, you might have achieved financial intimacy in your relationship. Financial intimacy goes well beyond merely sharing financial information, sharing your balance sheet, sharing your retirement accounts. It's a, that's a start, but that is not the, the, the full experience of financial intimacy. Financial intimacy involves feeling safe and comfortable discussing any money-related topic with your partner. Now, this uh, type of intimacy really requires a lot of uh, vulnerability, honesty, and uh, being forthcoming with your feelings, uh, your beliefs, your needs, and your behaviors around money. Um, listeners to this podcast will understand that, um, of course, we, we all have feelings about money. That's a one word feeling. So often we transpose feelings with thoughts. We'll ask somebody, what are you feeling about this? And you get a whole sentence about what they're thinking about it. So financial intimacy begins with being honest about the feelings I'm having, fear, happiness, joy, uh, hurt, anger, whatever those feelings are. There's a lot of feelings. Our beliefs around money can be our money scripts. This is what I believe. I deserve money. I don't deserve money. Uh, if I didn't save money, I'd be a nervous wreck. All the host of money scripts. And in the research that we did in the early days, we found that most people had 50 to 200 money scripts, beliefs about money, operating 24 7. Um, and usually subconscious until we kind of dig in and unpack everything. Something else that's typically hard for me is knowing what what are my needs? What do I need? Now, maybe around money I can I can be a little bit clearer than what my emotional needs are. But what do I need around money? Um, how can money support me? Not, not necessarily your partner. This is about being vulnerable about you. What are, 
your needs about money and your behaviors about money. And probably your partner is very well aware of your behaviors about money. Um, but maybe not all of them. And this can get into um, uh, holding secrets, financial infidelity, and disclosing, well, here's what I'm doing. Here's the spending I don't want you to know about. Here's the saving I don't want you to know about. Here's the extra income I don't want you to know about. Here's the debt I don't want you to know about. Here's who I'm giving to that I don't want you to know about. All of those things belong in uh, financial infidelity. So it may come as no shock to you that most couples don't have true financial intimacy. And something that I've never really delved into before that I recently did a webinar on for the Financial Therapy Association is what I'm terming faux financial intimacy. Faux, F-A-U-X, as in false. And this is where one partner avoids discussing money to avoid tension and conflict. So it's, it's um, keeping the peace, not rocking the boat. Yes, I agree with uh, my partner on this, or I certainly don't raise any disagreements. And the other partner could say, yeah, we, we have financial intimacy, I guess, because we never argue about money and we get along just fine. And the other partner's just uh, going along to get along, faux financial intimacy. So the lack of openness, the lack of vulnerability around this can stem from past experiences. Uh, maybe one partner's opinions were disregarded, minimized, invalidated. It um, probably goes way back to childhood when the partner learned this type of survival mechanism that it's just best not to be seen uh, to survive. So in this, this regard, a person probably has to uh, go, a couple has to go from the full financial intimacy to full-on conflict. And then from the conflict back to what is, or not back, you know, on to what is really financial intimacy. Um, so I would suggest, and I think most listeners of this podcast would believe that financial intimacy is an essential aspect of a healthy romantic relationship. But this is so routinely overlooked by therapists uh, when they're talking about other forms of intimacy, like emotional, spiritual, physical, not too long ago, I was at the uh, a conference and a therapist brought up all sorts of intimacies, 
actually think it was a therapist that specialized in uh, sexual issues. And rattled them off, but not one mention of financial intimacy. And then I uh, found, when I was doing a little research on this, uh, a list of, this is in marriage.com. What is intimacy and 12 types of intimacy in a relationship? Oh, I figured, well, if we're going to list 12 types, certainly financial must be in one of them. Well, they talked about intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, sexual intimacy. Then they came up with some others, understanding your partner intimacy, mutual respect intimacy, communication intimacy, vulnerability, uh, trust, intimacy between spouses. And I'm just not sure exactly what they're meaning by that. Passion and independence. Anyway, I think uh, a lot of these are pretty stretched to come up with um, intimacies. But my point, there's not anything mentioned about financial intimacy. So what is uh, financial intimacy? Ed Combs, who's uh, an author of a great book called The, he the Healthy Love and Money Way, has probably one of the best definitions of financial intimacy that I've come across. In the book, he says, financial intimacy uh, begins with a basic level of honesty. And he would say, you know, this is like sharing the financial information with one another, the balance sheets, what we talked about in the opening of the uh, podcast. But he goes on from there. You know, that's, that's a start, but it is not it. He says, however, financial intimacy goes a lot deeper than that. It also includes feelings, beliefs, and behaviors around money. When a couple is financially intimate, they feel safe and comfortable talking to their partner about any topic about money. So, creating financial intimacy. And you could, of course, argue any intimacy, but creating financial intimacy requires vulnerability. And Ed didn't say that in his definition, but that, that's what he's talking about, creating vulnerability. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are aware of Brene Brown. She is a renowned researcher on shame and vulnerability. And recently, I listened to a few episodes that were recommended to me by a friend on uh, Atlas. I forget the complete name, but it's a, a series on Netflix. And just fascinating. When I listened to Brené Brown, who's famous for her TED Talks on vulnerability and shame, it's like, I want to stop the video every other sentence <laughs> because it's just rich. Uh, she has, she pours so much uh, research and knowledge into what she says. And she has a quote on vulnerability that I especially like. She says, there can be no intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy. Now, 
Brené doesn't say anything about financial intimacy. Uh, and she's, this quote comes from, I think, around 2012. So I would add to that financial intimacy. So there can be no intimacy, emotional, spiritual, physical, or financial, my words, without vulnerability. It's about being honest with how we feel, about our fears, about what we need, asking for what we need. Vulnerability is a glue that holds intimate relationships together. Anytime that I listen to Brene talk on vulnerability or read any of her stuff, you know, my uh, emotional reaction is, oh, wow, yes, yes, I want to be vulnerable. This is awesome stuff. <laughs> And then I have opportunities to be vulnerable and I either recoil from them, I withdraw, or I take a risk to be vulnerable and afterwards wonder why did I do that? Vulnerability is really cool. I mean, vulnerability, I think there's some research somewhere that say that vulnerability is one of the top qualities needed by any CEO. But it, it is a rare commodity because with vulnerability is the chance of really getting hurt. And that's why it is so difficult. When both partners to a uh, romantic relationship can be financially intimate with e each other, that's that's scary stuff. That takes a lot of work to get to. And I'm going to suggest that partners that are financially intimate are probably already or well on their way to being intimate emotionally and spiritually and uh, physically and in any other way. So when, when financial intimacy is achieved, they can work together to achieve their financial goals, whether it's saving money, paying off debt, or planning for the future, whatever it is, they can, uh, they can share all of that and why they will not be in 100% agreement on everything. They have the tools by creating financial intimacy to deal with them, to fully hear the other, to consider them, to uh, work out creative ways to make sure that each partner is getting what they need. So this is just not easy. You know, to create intimacy of, of any kind uh, means learning new com communication skills because words matter. Um, often for a couple, it, it probably means getting some mentorship, some guidance from a third party. But it's, it's a very intentional. We do not read a book. You do not uh, listen to a podcast such as this and get the tools needed to create financial intimacy and the vulnerability that goes with it. It is heavily experiential. 
and it it takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of focus to build vulnerability when it comes to financial matters. I think this can be really true for a money vigilant. That is a category of money scripts where a money vigilant doesn't like debt, uh, has a hard time spending, uh, can be pretty easy for them to save. That's a category that often will have money. But one of the, the big um, um, <clears throat> oh, ways you can recognize somebody with uh, uh, money vigilance is they are very secretive, tend to be very secretive around their money. You don't talk about money. Uh, to very many people. And that can absolutely include your partner. It's something that is not discussed. So for that particular individual, it can be especially frightening, especially scary to start to open up and talking about their money, what they think, feel, and believe about their money. Now, at about this point, you may be thinking, well, Rick, that's the impossible dream in my relationship. Or that isn't even a road that I feel is a possibility to go down with my partner. And I get that. I think anybody that is in a romantic partnership sooner or later experiences some resistance to bringing up their feelings or a conversation. So it makes perfect sense that you feel that in the current state of how you are both relating to money. Uh, the chances are that you've had the same conversation with the same outcome over and over and over. You start into it, one partner says this, the other partner says that, the other partner reacts to that and says this, the other partner says that. Um, it escalates until you both walk away, you both shut down, or in, in some way it ends without any resolution. So what do you do when you're in that uh, type of dance? I think uh, one of the first steps in a partnership toward building new communication skills, toward inching toward vulnerability, is to focus on your reactions and feelings when the topic of money arises. Focusing on what's going on with you when your partner says or does something that causes an immediate reaction in you to where you're, you're right back at them. And typically, the feeling, and it's not a feeling, the thought <laughs> that we have uh, is that if my partner would just change, this wouldn't be happening. This is pretty easy to fix. Would you stop doing this? Would you start doing that? So learning to uh, focus instead what is going on in me right now as I listen to my partner doing this. 
and and this can take some help doing this. Uh, therapists that help couples uh, gain new communication skills may call this practicing a, a U-turn. And a U-turn, again, is when you or your partner says or does something that is triggering, but mostly we're focusing on your partner. You don't respond. You don't respond. And you turn your intention inward to what you're thinking or feeling. And it helps to have a third party there that can help the other partner just remain quiet at this this moment or listen to the processing that you're doing as you are focusing on what just came up in me. Uh, what am I feeling in my body? Where? What are the emotions that I'm feeling? What are the thoughts that I'm thinking? So when uh, both partners start to learn how to keep the focus on what's happening within them, getting curious about what's happening within them, the dance of conflict is going to de-escalate. But it takes focusing the interior rather than what they're doing to me. They made me feel this way. Focusing on our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, rather than spewing them out in an instant and reacting is going to give a huge amount of uh, insight and really help de-escalate things. So when you can focus on articulating to each other, what's going on within you, you can start to talk about what your hopes and fears are with your reaction. Uh, when you do this, when you say that, what are you hoping that this is going to uh, produce for you? Not in changing them. But what are your hopes that this is going to change for you? How is reacting like that going to impact you and get what you're hoping for? What is it that you're hoping for? And then the fear. Well, if I don't react this way, if I don't say that, what's my fear uh, around what is going to happen? What's my fear if that hope isn't obtained? And when you can get to a place that you can listen to each other's hopes and fears, oftentimes you find out that you're both on the same page. The next step in this, when things do de-escalate and you can start to hear really what's under all this, really what your partner is hoping for. Uh, and you discover, yeah, at the very bottom of this, we're hoping for more connection with each other or whatever it is. We're going about it very different ways. Then you can start to have more um, <clears throat> courageous conversations. And these are um, discussions that really require honesty, vulnerability, 
a willingness to address the difficult topics. And having these discussions can be really challenging, especially at first. They can be downright scary, but they're really crucial if we want to build financial intimacy. And again, it can be so helpful to have a third party there helping with these conversations to help keep them on track and to help each partner focusing on themselves. So basically, achieving uh, financial intimacy requires a lot of openness, way more than saying, here's my balance sheet or here's uh, a behavior that I've been hiding from you. It really uh, needs that super honest communication about money, vulnerability, that willingness to address these really difficult topics that we've been throwing under the rug, creating a faux intimacy. So it can really, it can really be a challenge. It can really be difficult to break away from these patterns. Um, but the benefits are huge. And uh, the benefits of creating financial intimacy is definitely reduce stress within yourself, within the relationship, and better financial decision-making. Um, actually, I mean, doing this actually has a financial component to it, actually can help increase wealth. Now, that is not necessarily the goal, but it, um, it is absolutely a component of increasing a, a financial wealth uh, and uh, increasing more money that supports both of your goals and desires and makes life uh, more meaningful. It helps make life a life that has meaning in it because it's supported um, by your finances. So I hope uh, this was uh, insightful. Um, I do have a book that I wrote in uh, 2023, co-authored with Deb Kaplan called um, Coupleship Inc. Um, from Financial Conflict to Financial Intimacy. It's available on Amazon. And it's um, a do-it-yourself book, a do-it-yourself financial therapy book for couples. And it does have an internal family systems bent to it. So it's really really the only book of its kind right now on the market. And we'll go over a number of things I've talked about, but in uh, much more depth. You could also reach out to an IFIO therapist, Intimacy from the Inside Out. Um, they can help start to build uh, intimacy um, and uh, financial therapists can also help with this. It's really critical. It can be really critical to your financial health and the financial health of your partnership. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time. 
thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.